Okay, we left off at, what's, what's the discussion? The artwork? I, I told you, it, I, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> I, I just wanted to kind of put a visual. Remember the, the line that goes across, straight across is actually red. And if you remember back in the introduction to the book, Pastor Berg talked about how there's this red line that runs through the scriptures, kind of connecting everything. So the idea was just simply to visualize that and then to kind of show you here's where the line has gone, here's where you know it's going to go today, um, things like that. Oh, I did give you one. Okay. You want two? Okay. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I can totally leave the artwork off. I don't know. Maybe it was, it was a poor attempt, but... No, it wasn't that. I was trying to figure it out. I was thinking, what does this mean? Sure. So basically, each of those words has been a different chapter, um, a different kind of connection that we've made. So we've uh, gone through creation, um, the Garden of Eden and the Flood, and today we're going to go through circumcision, Exodus, and the wilderness. So chapters 5, 6, and 7. So that's where we'll begin. Um, page 18. All right. Um, if you didn't get a chance to read this uh, in advance, that's okay. Um, but if you did, we might have to kind of heavily lean on you to answer some of these questions. So... Um, the, the connection between baptism and circumcision, circumcision is maybe the, the, the biggest and easiest to make. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through. There were a couple parts, I think, a couple connections that um, Pastor Berg didn't make between baptism and circumcision, which sort of surprised me. But I, I think, you know, his goal is probably... A little different, right? He's he's trying to keep this very kind of easy, very simple, just kind of making that, you know. And I think you can get lost in the weeds very easily. Um, I mean, each of these chapters is five, six pages. He could have easily have made each one twenty pages. I know that. Um, so, but maybe we'll make a couple of those points today. So, looking at question number one, um, and so we've got a couple of references there. Um, at the beginning of, of chapter 5, the question I have is, for what purpose, or really what purposes, did God institute circumcision with Abraham? Ian? Okay, yeah, it would be a visible uh, identifier of God's people, right? There would be something that would set them apart physically. Um, okay, good. Set them apart. What else? Okay, yeah. So, so marked, uh, separated, um, you know, made unique people for what purpose, right? They were the ones to whom the promise was made, right? The promise that, that God gave to Abraham, um, Right? Through you, all people will be blessed. Right? Not just the promise that, Abram, you're going to be Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations, but even all nations now, um, Abraham, are going to be blessed through you. Well, how are all nations? 
How are Gentile nations going to be blessed through Abraham and through his seed? Well, because who would ultimately be one of Abraham's seed? Who would be a future descendant of Abraham? Jesus, right? So the Savior of not just the Jews, not just Israel, but the Savior of the world is going to come through Abraham. So when the Lord makes the promise to Abraham and he says, Abraham, you are going to be a, a father of, uh, you're going to have a great huge family. They're going to outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, um, and through you all nations will be blessed. All people will be blessed. Um, and this is how, all right? And one of the ways uh, that, that God separated, that he marked his people, you see the name of the chapter, right? Marked by circumcision is through circumcision. Um, anything else? Okay, yeah. Um, the purpose of circumcision, right? Um, how do we say this without getting too graphic? Um, well, we're, we're going to get to it eventually anyway, but yeah, um, th this is something that we see very early on, right? Um, even, even before the sacrificial system, right? Cain and Abel are making sacrifices to God, right? So this idea of shedding blood, of, of the, the necessity of blood to be shed in order for an atonement to be made, um, this is all happening, Right? Um, and so you, you think ahead to, you know, um, Jesus being circumcised um, on the eighth day in the temple with his parents. Um, does anybody know when that, that, that minor festival is in the Christian church here? What day? New Year's Day, the eighth day of Christmas, right? Um, that, that is the, so New Year's Day, the minor festival on that day for Christians is the name of Jesus and the, the name and circumcision of Jesus. Um, and so there it is. For the first time, God is shedding blood for his people, right? Um, anything else? Purpose for circumcision. Next question. Um, number two, how did Old Testament and New Testament, really, we see it in Jesus' day too in the Gospels, how did Old Testament and New Testament Israelites show they often misunderstood the value of circumcision? So we just, we just talked. Here was the purpose of it. It was to mark God's people, the bearers of the promise. It was to be a reminder that, that through their, their bloodline, the Messiah would come. Um, it was to remind them of the, the shedding of blood, right? Um, in order to, to be atoned, to have their sins atoned for. For them, um, for, for many of the Old Testament and New Testament, maybe it's even easier to see in the, uh, in the New Testament... You need another one? Yeah, he took. Oh, I was, <laughs> I was just coming to give him one. 
I'm confused. I was like, I just gave you one, Peter. Um, yeah, the Judaizers. Um, what, 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 do, you remember, do you remember more about them, Brent? Do you remember what their, their main thing was? Yeah, so, so this is, the, the Judaizers are probably the most prominent um, enemies, if you will, who are uh, noted in the, the New Testament epistles, the letters that Paul writes. Um, most notably, the letter to the Galatians, right? Paul's letter to the Galatians, this is what he's talking about. He's addressing this idea of the Judaizers, um, and the point of it is to say you had people who were like, yes, we believe in Jesus, but faith in Jesus is not enough to be saved. You also have to add, you got to be circumcised, you got to observe the Sabbath, you got to recognize the high holy days. So you got to add Jesus plus all these other things. And if you remember in Paul's letter to the Galatians, remember he says, no, there is no Jesus plus. Um, there, was a, there was a book written a number of years ago. Um, Tully and Tavidian, if that name rings a bell. It's um, Billy Graham's grandson, I think. Um, and he wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And that's kind of the theme of, of the book of Galatians, is Paul saying exactly that. You're trying, the Judaizers, you're trying to add something to Jesus saying in order to be saved, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be in circumcision was, was the big one, right? You can't be saved without that. Um, and so think about the, the people in, in, in Jesus' day um, when Jesus would try and call them out for their arrogance or their lack of repentance. What was their saving grace? Oh, we're Abraham's children. Meaning what? We're circumcised, right? We're, we're, we're Jewish people, so we're God's chosen elect. You know, nothing could ever happen to us. Um, so it became very much an, an kind of an outward ritual as opposed to being this, uh, this act that God was making a promise through. Right? This is going to be the visible sign of my promise to you, God says. I made this promise, Abraham, I'm going to make your family great, and through you, the Savior of the world is going to come. That was ultimately the purpose of it. It was to be a visible reminder of the promise that God made. Right? And yet, what did they do with that, that promise? They took it into, well, as long as we get circumcised, we're good to go. Right? We did the thing that God told us to do, and now we're done. So now we don't have to worry about anything else. Well, look at the next question I have there. How can we be tempted to view baptism the same way? Hey, right? We got our kid baptized. That's all that matters, right? Um, this, this, is, this is probably the saddest and, and most frustrating thing. Between parents who bring their kids to be baptized and then you never see them again, 
and divorce. Those are the two saddest things I think that you have to deal with as a pastor. Um, because parents who bring their kids to be baptized and then never nurture or never follow up or never support or never continue to feed the faith given in baptism are carrying that same spirit and attitude. We're Abraham's children. We did the thing God told us to do, so we're good. Well, no, you really didn't, right? Because what, what does Jesus say? Um, he says, uh, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what comes next? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. They, they always go hand in hand. You baptize and then you teach, right? It, it, it's like this. You feed your kids from the moment they're born. And then you teach them about nutrition later. You don't, you don't wait until they understand the value of a good hearty meal before you start to feed them. They'll never make it. This, this is the, 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 the beauty of baptism, that God makes this promise that we can take great comfort that God does not lie, that all of the promises God makes in baptism, the forgiveness of sins, faith is, is created and strengthened, you're adopted into the family of God, he puts his name on you, you are promised life everlasting, all of those God is holding true. And now, your joy and your responsibility as a parent is to teach the faith that God has given to your children in baptism. Right? Um... And, and so I, I think there's a real temptation here, kind of the same way that, that, that the Judaizers, that, that people in the Old Testament, that even in Jesus' day, they looked at circumcision and said, we did the thing that God said, and so we're good to go. Um, I think it can be really tempting and easy to kind of treat baptism that way. Um, and of course, that view of circumcision and that view of baptism makes no one happier <clears throat> other than the devil. Right? Because what it does is it turns the promise that God made into now a work that you have done. I did the thing. Right? So, I'm good. You turn the gospel into law. The point of circumcision, the point of baptism, now becomes your act, your doing, and you can check it off. As opposed to the point of it being, God has made you a promise. Um, and this is the, the visible reminder of that promise. And of course, when we, we talk about baptism, we're talking about even more than a visible reminder, and we'll get to that. But yeah, do you have a question? I'm not going to say it, it's not going to do any good, I know, right? But... It, it's, 
it is a really hard situation. And, and I know, uh, I don't know personally, but I've, I've dealt with enough heartbroken grandparents who said, I just want my grandbabies baptized. Um, they're staying at my house this weekend. Can I baptize my, my granddaughter while I'm giving her a bath? And my answer is, is typically two things. Number one, will you tell your kids? Um, because if you won't tell them, I, you know, it's not something that's intended to be done in secret, right? It's, it's not intended to be this thing that we, we have to hide from people. Um, and then the second one is, um, if you are willing to tell your kids, then are you willing to take the responsibility of making sure that you continue to nurture that faith? Whatever that might look like, right? Um, and I would say if your answer to those two questions, or at least to one of them, is no, then, then this is the temptation of how you're treating baptism, right? I did the thing. Right? Um, when the emphasis is supposed to be, no, we're, we're going to emphasize the, the promise that God is making, a promise that he now follows up with this call to feed, strengthen, nurture that seed of faith planted in baptism. Um, and where that is not going to happen, I, I, the threat of turning baptism into this outward ritualistic thing becomes real. Um, so I... You know, at the end of the day, I'm still not going to fault a grandparent for baptizing their grandkid. I mean, you know, um, those are probably some of the hardest decisions I've had to make as a pastor, um, is when, when parents come to me at the urging of grandma, you know, no joy, no enthusiasm, we're doing this thing to get grandma off our back, pastor just do the thing so we can get out of here and we never have to see you again. Do you baptize that kid? I got a hard time saying no, but at the same time, I don't want to give those parents that false hope of, all right, go in peace, you did the thing, I mean, what do, you, what do you think the Lord was talking about last week um, in our, our Old Testament reading? That God punishes the children and the grandchildren for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. I, what is that? What, what happened in Israel that, that they went from being God's people um, to worshiping in His temple, to building His temple, um, to, 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 to being led through the wilderness, to be led into the promised land, um, to, to, to write the, the words of, of Scripture, to, to not being any of those things anymore. What happened? didn't happen overnight. Right? Um, why do you think the great emphasis was there? The Lord, the Lord was constantly telling His Old Testament people, Impress these things upon your children. Because the Lord knew if you don't, all it takes is one generation. Um, and my generation right now, the, the millennial generation, um, we, we were the generation where that really started. Um, I, most of my friends that I grew up with did not go to church. 
which for some of you who are older than I am, that was unheard of. The friends you grew up with went to some church, right? Might not have been your church, but they all went to church, right? Um, by the time my generation was raised, that was not a given anymore. Well, now look what we have. Um, you've got millennials, you've got, I don't even know what they're called anymore, Generation Y, Generation Z. None of these kids know anything about the Bible. That's all it took was, was my generation, right? Not going to church, not being taught, not being given the truths of Scripture. So what are you going to pass on to your grandkids? And so this, this is why I, I tell people, you know, even, even young couples, I say, do you want, um, you know, when maybe uh, when you start to have kids and they kind of get to that age where they fight you about coming to church a little bit, um, and they say, you know, Pastor, we, you know, we just, we don't want to fight with our kids anymore, you know, she's, she's 15 and she doesn't want to come to church anymore, and we just, don't, we just got tired of fighting her. And I say, I get it, but do you want your grandkids to be Christian? Do you want your grandkids to be baptized? Or do you want to be faced in that bathtub situation over a long weekend? Do I baptize my grandkid? And what that's going to come down to is where your kids raised with that understanding that being in the Word, being in God's house, remembering my baptism, being at the Lord's table, these things are non-negotiable in our house. Or is it a coin toss every weekend? Because if it's a coin toss every weekend, think about what that's going to be for the next generation. It ain't going to be a coin toss anymore. Right? That's all it takes is that inch. Um, so, yeah. I don't know how we got on that conversation, but it was a good one, I think. Um, so I think very easy for, for the same way that, that, that God's Old Testament people viewed kind of the outward ritualistic approach to, to circumcision, I think that's very easy for us to do with baptism, right? Um, and yes, baptism is, 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 is something that ought to give us great comfort, um, but not because we did the thing, but because of the promises God makes through it, okay? So Romans 2 is kind of this, this picture, right? Um, Dr. Berg, I think, mentions that um, Romans 2, or did I just insert it? I thought he had it in here somewhere. Yeah, page 22. Um, middle of page 22, that first full paragraph there. Circumcision was not about following a law as if God was somehow pleased with the empty ritual of this surgery. And here's the verses. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Okay. Um, circumcision, continuing in that paragraph, was about God's promise and the faith that results. For Abraham, it was a faith in the future Messiah. This was about God's action, not man's action. All right, number three, what connections can you make between circumcision and baptism, and how does baptism supersede circumcision? What connections can you make?
okay, they, they have a physical um, quality to them, right? Um, and so, yeah, you've got the, the cutting off of a piece of flesh and you've got water, okay? We've got, we've got a physical quality to them, something that's more than just words, okay? What else? Okay. I'm not sure about the implication that they had a, something they said when they delivered. Well, this would be how baptism supersedes circumcision. How, how, is, how is baptism greater than circumcision? Okay, so first of all, let's start there, right? Um, circumcision was commanded for a very specific group of people for a very specific purpose. Um, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them, right? So we've got something now that is now not just for this little niche of people, but for all, right? So good. So the nature of it is bigger. Um, the intended audience is bigger. What else? Good, right? This is, this is what we're getting to. So, so here's where I would say we start to see kind of the separation. Um, I don't have a problem when people want to say something like, well, circumcision was sort of like an Old Testament sacrament. It was sort of like, because you've got the, you've got the commandment to do this thing. Um, you've got the, the promise that God is connecting to it. You've got the visible outward sign and reminder of it. But here's the difference. Um, no one was saved purely by being circumcised. Um, uh, Pastor Berg, I think, mentions this too. Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 4. Um, what happened first? Did God make the promise to Abraham and then he was circumcised or was Abraham circumcised and then he was given the promise? The promise came first. The promise came first, right? So, so even without the circumcision, the promise was still valid. Think about now what God does in baptism. He actually attaches the promise to baptism. Right? Um, that that when, when, when we baptize someone here and we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is happening right now. The promise is being applied to this child. Faith is being created in their heart. They're being snatched from the grip of the devil. They are, their name is being written in the book of life. God is adopting them into His family. All of their sins, past, present, future, are washed away in the blood of Jesus. Um, all of those things are given in that sacrament, right? Um, so, so there is this difference. This is how, you know, this is the challenge when, when you want to talk about, well, baptism is just a New Testament version of circumcision. Or likewise, Holy Communion is just a New Testament version of the Passover. You see, if they're the same thing, then why is God instituting a new one? Why not just stick with the one that had been working for 3,500 years? Right? Because it is, it is um, something new. It is something greater. It is something better. Um, baptism is not just um, uh, an outward sign that is pointing to an inner thing. Baptism is actually the thing, God says. Um, 
through baptism, here are all of the things that God does for an individual. Right? Um, so I, all of those things, you, you, you know, the, the name of the chapter is marked by circumcision. Some more connections between the two. Um, some, some connections between the two is um, baptism marked you as a child of God. Um, so does circumcision. That was, the, that was kind of the, the picture of it, right? Um, it, it identified you as one who was a, a member of God's family. Some of the other connections that, that, that again, Pastor Berg doesn't mention is um, bapt- or circumcision, again, was done on what day? Eighth day, right? Um, and so throughout uh, the, the Christian church, this was always a discussion in the early days of, of the New Testament church. They saw the connection, because Paul makes the connection, between circumcision and baptism. And since circumcision was done on the eighth day, the question was asked, well, should we also then baptize on the eighth day? And I know, Peter, that's what you were, right? Yeah. So this goes all the way back to, oh, I brought it up and now I can't remember. It's not the Council of Nicaea. I think it's the Council of Carthage. So this would have been uh, 200s, 300s A.D. And one of the questions that they wrestled with was, should we wait until the eighth day to baptize a child? Because that's when circumcision was done. And uh, can you guess what their answer was? No. Um, The answer was, grace... The grace of God shall not be legitimately withheld from anyone who has been born. So, so while they saw the connection, they also recognized this is not about following a law. Baptism is pure grace. And so why would we wait to give that to our children until they're some eight days old, right? Or later. Um, but the, the connection was still made. So um, a lot of baptismal fonts that you'll see are eight-sided. They're octagonal for that very reason, making that connection of the eighth day. So ours has the eight legs around the side and the... the The platform that the bowl sits in, this has eight sides, okay? That's the point of it. But even more than that, um, what else in the New Testament, even more significant than circumcision, um, what, what notably happened on the eighth day in the New Testament? It's a trick question. If you don't know this, you'll never get it. Um, Easter Sunday is considered the eighth day of Holy Week. So you think about Palm Sunday, you've got Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's your seven days, right, of Holy Week. What happens on the eighth day? Easter, resurrection, new life. And so the connection then was always made that the eighth day is the first day of the new creation. This is the resurrection to new life, to life eternal. And so this is more so now where we make the connection, um, that the eighth day of baptism is connecting us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and that's Romans chapter 6. Okay? So those would be all the connections kind of between circumcision and baptism, um, eight being a, kind of a significant number for that. Um, a little difference here, Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes, In Christ you were also circumcised and putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. Um, so male or female, circumcised or uncircumcised, every Christian can say, I'm circumcised. Because it's not about a circumcision of the flesh anymore. It's about a circumcision of the heart. Right? Um, something that only God, by His Spirit, can do. Um, last question, number four. It would have been impossible for an Israelite man to forget his circumcision. For obvious reasons. <laughs> um, what are some practical ways that you can remember and celebrate your or your children's baptisms? Anybody have anything that they do? Okay. Yeah. Okay, pictures. Yeah. Especially, right, if you're, if you're baptized um, as an infant, right, you're not going to remember it, so good to have that. This is, this, is, this is part of the reason, again, why we have um, witnesses and sponsors and godparents. Um, part of it is to say, I was there. You were baptized. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Um, I had a, a lady at my former congregation. She'd been a member for 10 years before I got there. Um, and... Um, she and her whole family, uh, they were all members, baptized, you know, had three kids. And uh, she called me up one day in a panic. And I said, what's the matter? And she goes, I don't think I'm baptized. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Uh, you know, what, well, what happened? And she goes, well, I, was, I had this conversation with my grandma today, and I asked her some questions about my baptism, and she was there. And she just, like, casually said, you know, I always thought it was weird that the, the minister didn't use water. And she goes, what? And she goes, yeah, he just put his hand on you and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I thought, I'd never seen a baptism like that. And she goes, Grandma, because that's not a baptism. And so she called me and she's like, what do I do? And I go, you know, I, maybe Grandma remembers this. Maybe she doesn't. I don't know. But the point of a sacrament is to give you comfort and assurance. So I went over to her house. We pulled out a bowl from their, you know, counter or from their cabinet and you know, did a baptism right there. I don't know if she was legitimately baptized or not. I knew she was a Christian. I knew that, that uh, if she was baptized, this wasn't going to give her extra credit, nor was it going to nullify her first one. But it was going to give her the comfort and assurance of knowing something that she thought she knew her whole life, and that was that she was baptized. Um, I think another easy way um, is to have your baptismal certificate somewhere readily available in your home. Um, we, we have our kids framed, um, you know, in their bedrooms. Um, another way, other ways I've seen families do it is they actually kind of have like a mini birthday celebration on the baptismal day of their kids. They have a little cake, they get a candle, um, a baptismal candle that you kind of relight every year. 
Um, another great way to do that, you talk about opportunity to, to share with your kids, the, to remember the joys of their baptism. Um, there have been times randomly when I've, you know, I, I've said to myself when I'm washing my face in the sink or in the morning when I'm taking a shower, um, water, water is just an easy way to remind you of it from time to time. Right? I am baptized. And I think that's such an important thing to remember. Um, never say I was baptized. Right? I am baptized. It's a very different thing. Right? One says it's done, it's over with. One says this is never ending. Right? I am a baptized child of God. Right? Um, I don't know. Any other suggestions, thoughts? Social media. Social media. <laughs> well, the nice thing is that, boy, I, you know, as I get older, I really, I used to get annoyed by the memories that would pop up on Facebook, but now I, I look forward to those things because I forget things way too easily now. So um, probably a good thing. Um, you know, today is uh, Missy and my anniversary, and so it was cool just to go through and see all the different ways we've celebrated our anniversary because I forgot all of them. Um, not our anniversary. I remember that. Can't say the same for my wife. But um, I think I gave my grandkids some kind of a cross to hang by their crib. Sure. Had a ribbon that you could hang over it, whatever. Yeah. For their baptism. Yeah. And and I and I and I always make this offer to people, um, even if you weren't baptized here, if you don't have a baptismal certificate or you don't have one for your kids, but you know at least when they were baptized, um, let me know and I'll print you a new one. Okay, so you can have that, um, and they can have that. Um, yeah, so ways to remember, okay? Uh, it's 10 after 12. We're going to stop there, <clears throat> and uh, we'll pick up next week. I would say let's try, and uh, I, I think we'll get through this uh, next week, but we'll see. Um, so I would say at least you know, read the next couple chapters. Be prepared. Read, read 8, 9, and 10 for next week. If we don't get to it, then you'll have worked ahead and it'll be all right. But we'll, uh, I'll try and have that ready for next week and we'll see how far we get. Okay? Awesome. So glad to see all of you today. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Well, thank you very much. Yeah.